0: Crow portrays an ex homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie dot com slash wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie dot com slash wondery.
1: Welcome to episode two sixty two with my guest Jesse Close. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. And this show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a doctor. This is, uh, I'm not a therapist. This isn't a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. And Pod is also the Twitter handle. You can follow me at. Go check out the website. You can join the forum there. You can uh, fill out surveys that we might read on the show. You can see how other people filled out surveys. Um, all kinds of all kinds of good things. Um, let's get to it. I've, even though the interview with Jesse is on the short side. Um, I've got a lot of surveys that I don't know if I'll be able to get through all of them, um, but uh, let's get to it. This first thing actually I wanna read is from, it's a blog that uh, that this woman wrote, and her name is Connie, and she has uh, a blog, that, and the address is com, and she's given me permission to write this, um, read this thing that, that she wrote. Uh, She writes, Just a couple days ago, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I am only 35, and this was a big shock. I've been going through uh, the different stages of grief. Yesterday, I kept having moments where I doubted I had heard the diagnosis and believed for a few seconds I had imagined the entire thing. Moments where reality seemed shattered, and I was in a waking dream. I've started the process of visiting the specialists to talk about my treatment. I was called by a nurse practitioner who will be with me through the whole process. I was given a box filled with pink bracelets, a sachet of lavender lotions, of lavender lotions, lip balm, and chocolate. I have literature on what to expect. I've been asked what kind of support system I have around me and have even been informed that if I am struggling financially, there are groups to help me through the emotional and monetary expense this illness will cost. This process has been staggeringly different than when I was diagnosed with depression. I was forced to seek help with depression when I became completely unable to function. I could not stop the suicidal thoughts. I could not control my emotions. I would sit in a crumpled mess on the giant leather couch at the doctor's office and cry the entire session. Depression completely changed my life. I had to leave college. I was unable to leave my bed for months at a time. I gained massive amounts of weight because of the medications and struggled with their powerful side effects. No one asked me if I had a support group. No one around me understood what the illness meant. I felt isolated with no options. Depression was considered a pre-existing condition and there was no insurance to cover the $500 bottles of medication and the $250 weekly visits. There was no, there was no nice little box telling me what to expect. I was not presented with options for treatment. I didn't know what to expect. Ten years ago, the Internet only turned up things like horrific suicide notes with little information on where I could go to get help. I've gotten stronger over the years. I've become more open about the illness of depression, and things have gotten less isolating. But to this day, when I tell someone I have depression, I find myself hanging my head and saying it quietly, almost with a subconscious knowledge that they may not understand and may pass judgment. When I say I have breast cancer, I'm coming to the realization I am now part of a world where people have an immense support system set up where survival is celebrated, and people understand how life altering the illness is. They understand that I am facing my mortality and will have to fight a really and will have to really and <laughs> will have to fight really hard through an extraordinarily difficult time. I can't type the words "the most difficult time of my life." Because as tough as my treatment will be, it will be nothing in comparison to the complete helpless isolation I felt through the worst years of my depression. The terrifying side effects and the struggle it took to figure out how to manage my symptoms through years of searching for a solution. A process that had left me with a lack of faith uh, in people. A process that left me feeling ashamed and wholly alone at times. I can't help but imagine a day when we have a support system for those whose lives have been completely altered by depression or any severe mental illness that changes every aspect of a person's life. A day when people celebrate a person as a depression survivor and help them reach a point where they can live a long, healthy, happy life. I can't tell you what a difference it is making in my life to have this unbelievable support now, to have people understand that I am fighting a seriously difficult illness, that I am now fighting from my life every day through two various very serious illnesses depression and cancer and again if you want to share the uh this um her blog the home page for her blog is blog.awanderingsoul.com thank you so much for that connie um just going to read a couple of surveys before we uh Get to the interview this uh, this interview with uh jesse by the way was uh recorded about a year and a half ago and uh, i've not been able to get an update um from her um as you'll hear she lives in the uh, in the boonies and i think um the woman that booked her uh who sat in with us um was reaching out to her and trying to get all over but uh, anyway um This is Struggle in a Sentence and this is filled up by Alana, who talks about her anxiety. She says, it feels like someone is taking a scouring pad to my veins. Uh, Mostly Harmless is a gender fluid teen who writes about their depression, feeling crushed under the weight of mundane everyday responsibility. No way out. Boy, do I feel that one every day about uh, their anxiety. Not fear of something happening, but rather dread, because you just know it will. That is a good one. About their anorexia. The thrill of watching the numbers on the scale tick down. The mind-numbing bliss of malnutrition. I feel weightless and for once in control. About self-harming. Wanting to destroy the body that brought me so much pain. I burn to prove that it's just a thing. It's not me. It's not my body about being a sex crime victim the aching feeling that all i need is a hug but i can't get it because touch is poison this is filled out by a guy who calls himself bottom feeder about his depression my depression is like a large piece of furniture that's too big to get through the door so every day i have to push it to a new spot in the room just to simulate change boy that is a good one thank you for that um Snapshot from Shauna's life. She writes, Sitting in a room with people and not wanting to be there, but not knowing how to make everyone leave. God, that is great. Um, Snapshot from Snake Lady's life. Being so lonely that the sight of other people being happy together literally brings me to tears. I only exist in my eating disorder. Sending you a hug. Uh, This is uh, from Tigger in the Streets eeyore in the sheets and she writes about her depression uh it's a recurrent depression like a horror movie franchise where you think the villain is dead but he just keeps showing up in increasingly shitty sequels fantastic about her anxiety like i'm an action movie hero deciding whether to cut the green or the red wire on the bomb but for every single decision i make those are great And uh, this one is from a guy who calls himself nobody. About his depression, he writes, like I'm competing in the Daytona 500 on a bicycle. About his anxiety. They already know I'm a creep. Talking to them will only make it worse. And then a snapshot from his life. When I was in college, my girlfriend of three years broke up with me. I cried every day and became a drunken loner. Then one day, she randomly invited me over. She told me she was the second coming of Christ. Christ made love to me, then asked me if I wanted to marry her. I said yes. Several hours later, she started crying and said she was betrothed to another man. In the morning, she was found by the cops wandering the streets, naked, covered in scrapes and bruises. I visited her in the psych ward. She told me that she'd had a manic episode and that I should get STD tested. I was heartbroken. Nine years later, I still wish we'd gotten married. I fear that I'm inadequate.
0: So recently I've been punching myself a lot Sometimes I feel like my full-time job Mental illness Is convincing myself I'm so alone Why I should try to do something I hate my kids seeing me like that I just imagine killing people I woke up with rats in my hair
1: They warp reality Am I losing myself or am I becoming myself?
0: I go back to bed Hiding underneath the sofa
1: while people were shooting outside the house I was able to get myself out of Scientology Put a gun to my mother's head and I'm here with Jesse Close, who um, some of you may know as the sister of uh, the actress Glenn Close. Uh, and she has a book coming out in January called Resilience. But uh, you've been on talk shows and stuff talking about your struggles with mental illness. And yeah. <laughs> um, your sister Glenn has been a big advocate for uh, assisting you in trying to erase the stigma of, of mental illness. And... Uh, First of all, as somebody who struggles with mental illness, I want to say thank you for um, getting out of your recliner and, uh, and <laughs> wish I had one. And going doing some of the some of the stuff that that people don't want to do, which is to to open up and say yeah. I've made a lot of mistakes. I've I've have things in my past that I'm ashamed of the way I acted because I didn't know what I was what I was dealing with. Yeah. Um. One second. Um. Would you make sure that your phone is to uh, airplane mode? It's probably mine that's making the noise. But um, but I just want to thank you for um, uh, this great organization that you have called bringchangetomind.org. And the two is a letter to. And uh, Pamela Harrington, who's the executive director, is also sitting in the uh, the stuffy room with us. Um, I record after hours because it's more quiet, but I think they turn the air up a little bit. Um, so <laughs> you'll be shedding that shirt, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, the outer shirt, the I outer should say. Shirt, I was going to say, That's I'm wearing com- two. That's a completely different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, where would be a good place to, to start? You have um, Bipolar One. And you went yeah. undiagnosed for over 40 years, yeah. not knowing what you were up against.
0: Yeah, I've had a very colorful life, <laughs> to say the least. You
1: know, I heard somebody say about a bipolar, there's two kinds of bipolar, the one that gets you promoted and the one that gets you fired. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: And I think the one that gets you both. <laughs> yeah. Fired one month, or, yeah. you know, promoted one month, and then fired the one after that. Yeah. Uh, Where's a good place to start with uh, with your story?
0: Well, L.A., since we're here.
1: Okay. Um, Is that where you were raised? No. Okay.
0: I was sent out here to Pacific Palisades to live with my poor 24-year-old eldest sister, Tina. She was pregnant on top of that. I was 16, and she didn't have a clue. I would climb in and out of the window at night and push my little car down to the down to the road because the driveway was on an incline and genius and, genius yeah <laughs> high five <laughs> high five and r- go up. you know drive sunset and i was very blonde and very wild and yeah it's a good place to start
1: okay um was there, were you always kind of the rebellious, wild one in the family? Does does, yeah, any, does anybody I, else struggle with mental illness in your family, or are you the, the only one?
0: No. I have two siblings who deal with depression, but it really didn't come on till much later in life. Okay. So, I'm... How many kids
1: in your family? Four. Okay.
0: And I was the youngest, so it's, you know, being the wild one is typical of the youngest one. So they let really? you
1: know there's something yeah. more. no. So. And what did the wildness? Uh, how was that expressed its, itself? You shared in a blog I, I read about um, abusing drugs and alcohol, being promiscuous, uh, particularly when, particularly when you were manic. Right. But you didn't know you were manic. You just no. What, what were the thoughts that you had about yourself? Were, were did you feel proud I was, of your rebellion, uh, or did I, were you were you ashamed? I,
0: I don't think I really labeled it. I think I just was. Um, I could be studious and serious, but, um, you know, uh, being wild kind of won out, especially at that age in L.A.
1: Get more attention Um, that way? Yeah. Did you feel like it was an identity that you were happy to have?
0: I think... My my parents didn't really know what to do with me because they were living in Africa and my health didn't do well over in Africa. Is that where you have been
1: sent over from? Yeah. Where where in Africa?
0: Zaire. Okay. When seventies, uh, 70s, early seventies, 70s, I was sent. Was Mugabe? Back. Was that Mabutu? Mabutu. Yeah, he was. I'm getting my dictators mixed up next time. <laughs> I don't know if they were
1: both dictators. I know Mugabe was. <laughs> yeah. But, no. Yeah. Mabutu, Mabutu
0: became a dictator later in life he was yeah. a good guy to begin with yeah but. i th- i th- i think
1: speaking of mental illness i think he began to th- see himself as god
0: yeah but you know that's
1: kind of typical typical
0: of the- when you have a whole country that'll you know lie down at your request and he i think his downfall really began when he started taking on more wives because then he needed more money to please all the wives, and so he started taking from his country. And uh, anyway... Okay. um, What were your parents doing over there? My dad actually... Was the medical director in the country. um, And he was also Mobutu's private physician. Really? Yeah. So I'm sure your audience will go, CIA! He must have been CIA! (laughs) I know uh, Stan... Is Stan Borman still around? Don't know the name. He was with Regis. It used to be the Borman and Regis show years ago in the 70s. Anyway, um, he was convinced that my father was CIA really? um, and we've all asked my dad if he was CIA he never probably would have said he was so it's inconclusive but America certainly had a big hand in Mobutu's oh. pa- you know power so
1: Half the countries in the world, yeah. America, yeah, had a yeah. had a hand in, but yeah. they don't teach that in grade school. No, they don't. They don't talk about uh, Salvador Allende or uh, Mohammad Mossadegh in Iran. They don't talk. But I don't want to get political uh, on this show. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you get sent uh, over here. You're 16. You're acting wild. Um, what, what what's the next and are we skipping over anything from childhood any kind of uh, traumas or seminal moments that stick out in your mind as where you
0: oh it would be hard to go over it all in just an, an hour but um, my parents also had joined uh, Dr. Frank Bookman's movement called Moral Rearmament that's how dad got to Zaire in the first place um he went over there as a missionary in nineteen sixty when the revolution broke out, and he was a doctor um, and all the Belgian doctors fled because they were being killed just right in the streets um so Dad.
1: Was it a King Leopold? Is that the one who had, uh, who was the power abuser before...
0: King Leopold, yeah, the Belgian... It was oh, the Belgian Congo. He was supposedly Congo. a monster. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he, it was the Belgian Congo. So the Belgians were being slaughtered, and my dad volunteered his services. He was a surgeon. And he had just had an inkling that he, he should take his medical bag with him when he went over there. So he had his supplies and his...
1: Oh, so it wasn't to be a doctor.
0: No. Uh, he was being a missionary, so um, that got him to sever relations with the group, the MRA group, Moral Rearmament, of which Up With People came out of. Up With People is a spin off of Moral Rearmament. I had no idea. Yeah, most people don't. Yeah. Um,
1: they fought together in the Great Theater Battle of 1988. <laughs> They took it. They took their fight to the orchestra pit. It's <laughs> where all the shit goes down. Yeah. that's that's, where, that's the trench of yeah. the theater world. That's this the is nineteen nineteen eighteen trench of the yeah. theater world. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. So I met up with a young man who I it's his name is in the book, but I don't feel like saying his name on the show. Um, and we um bought a used um, transmitter it had been used in vietnam and put it on the roof of our apartment building um, 11550 nebraska avenue on the corner of nebraska and colby and, uh, In Santa Monica. Yeah, no, West LA. Okay. So we started broadcasting, and we had told our neighbors if they ha- had if their TVs were interfered with, we had filters that we'd put on. Well, not all the neighbors got filters or asked for them. So the FCC came down on us, and the the uh, station was called K Pot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Enough said. Enough said. And now you just painted. I love it when a guest can find a seminal moment that, uh, that y- describes so much more. <laughs> that describes so much. One of so the much. policemen
0: who were with the FCC guys said, Yeah, so why'd you call it k pot, huh? And I said, Well, you know, on the mixing board, the knobs are called potentiometers, oh, and that's nice. why. And he went, nice. Yeah, right. <laughs>
1: 'Cause a lot of fans out there are potentiometers.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of potentiometer lovers. Yeah. So um yeah, so we were busted. We had the speaking of uh nineteen eighteen, we had the eighteen twelve overture on um when they walked in. Um in case
1: there wasn't enough inherent drama.
0: In no. <laughs> <laughs> so then um this young man I was married to was quite brilliant. I must say, and he had observed that Theta Cable was just down the road on Nebraska Avenue, I think. Yeah, and um, so we became a cable radio, the first experimental cable radio um, outfit. We didn't, you know, with cable, you only needed a two-watt transmitter. Mm -hmm. You didn't need a big, huge thing up on the mountain, so... Um it went really well and then we got a um a commercial contract for the next year. And as you'd have it, he became quite brutal. And my mother and sister In, in,
1: in what ways did he physically become? physically okay, to me. Very controlling.
0: Very controlling. Very abusive,
1: and and he, I imagine he was not. He hit it well in the beginning of the relationship, as most abusers do. They, the period of charming, and then they isolate you, yeah. and then they gaslight you, and make you think that you don't deserve any better. Are yeah. are, 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 are all these? Uh, am I right on? Yeah. On okay. Yeah.
0: Ding 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 ding. Yeah. 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 So, my mother and Glenn came out and saw what was going on behind the scenes and rescued me and took me to Wyoming and then a whole other life began so
1: boy that that's a a culture shock yeah from West LA to Wyoming yeah wow
0: (laughs) and I remember I was quite political obviously and um I remember sitting in my VW van that my parents gave me for my 21st birthday, was that year, and listening to President Nixon, listening to his um, resignation speech, Um, and everyone else was sitting on the bank of a river with cow poop everywhere, and I just hated it. (laughs) <laughs> I couldn't stand it. Nobody cared. That's not a
1: fun moment for you, watching our g- country crumble, surrounded by shit? Yeah. <laughs> In a desolate, sweeping landscape? Yes. I don't know. That sounds romantic to me.
0: <laughs> That's true. You weren't there to point it out. <laughs> yeah, so... Um... Sounds
1: like a good Terrence Malick movie to me. <laughs> <laughs> um so I want to know emotionally really that's what I'm I'm interested in is uh, emotionally the, the the arc of of your life and your story and your and your struggles um and I feel like we're maybe we're skipping over childhood was I don't have any sense of what emotionally things were like for you in your household, whether it was a, a safe household. Was it nurturing? Was there emotional um communication? Was it?
0: Well, there were so many households that it's hard to, you know, label them. There was the, the household when I was really little that was, um, beautiful and wonderful and there was no moral rearmament involved yet and then there was moral rearmament and then it was selling that beautiful wonderful place and moving to a conference center where we rarely saw our parents and nannies um, nannies reigned Uh, in the beautiful wonderful house I had had a nanny who hated MRA and did not come with us because of that mm. so um, and Glenn writes three vignettes in my book and one of them was her observing when I was five years old in this MRA house um, how I would hurt myself on my hand I would like go like that all the time until it I'm I'm Rub your skin. manipulating the skin on my hand for those of you who can't see, um, and it would it would scab over and bleed. Um, so I learned at a very young age.
1: Was that did that? Do you remember doing that? Yeah. And was it a release? Did it yeah. release tension? Yeah. Okay. So, the, but the object wasn't to hurt yourself. No. It was it was just it's something the, that was the soothing. tension. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah, and the isolation. Um, Yeah, I had a Swiss nanny who was... um, I loved her, but she was very strict, and she would always say, Oh, you Americans are lazy, or, you know, Come on, we're going to take a walk, and we're going to walk five miles, and I know you're only five, but, you know, she (laughs) (laughs) She was hit by a train years later, and... That's bizarre. But anyway.
1: Uh. <laughs> uh, I was thinking the comeback you could have had for her when you were a kid was, yeah, well at least we fought Hitler. <laughs> Shut your mouth. Shut your mouth in dust.
0: And dust. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, so so you felt isolated, you felt alone, and you had anxiety. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Fair to say. Yeah. Um then you become um wild, uh, attracted to abusive men. Yeah. Um, it wasn't just him. It was, I would imagine it was a series of abusive men or no?
0: Not really, no. Okay, so uh-huh.
1: really just kind of the one isolated because it typically a, a pattern that I
0: Yeah, no, I hear never went is, n- near someone like him again. Wow, I, that's
1: fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah,
0: I mean, I remember he, uh, holding him off with a butcher knife and um, he he... I I tried to kill myself when I was 19. And do you remember what cross whites are? The,
1: the, the little speed. white speed yeah. whites. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I took a whole bag of those because we didn't have anything else around. And then I told him because I wanted him to know and to watch me die. And he first thing he said was that he couldn't take me to the hospital because I'd be arrested and that he, he could just have me committed to an as, insane asylum, which probably would have been better than the, the situation I was in. But um, and we had an upstairs neighbor who was a nurse, and he went and got her, and she stayed with me all night and made me throw up and throw up and throw up and throw up. And throw up. And that was...
1: That was your first suicide attempt. My first suicide was, was that your only suicide attempt?
0: No. Um, many years later, um, in two thousand, um, I wanted to die so badly. It was right before I sobered up in two thousand one, and booze had a lot to do with it. Boy, do I know
1: that. Yeah. Yeah. So depression. From Uh, self-medicating is, I've never felt that bad. Even in the the worst depths of my depression since getting sober, it's never even approached the sadness and the hopelessness. No. Talk about it.
0: It was New Year's Eve, and all my kids were home. My eldest son, and we'll get back to this, but he was diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder and spent two years at McLean Hospital. He was home for Christmas vacation. My daughter was about eight years old, and my younger son was probably nine eighteen nineteen and um my husband at the time had guns, but he always kept them locked up f- because of me <laughs> and uh he had a handgun because, and I, because
1: he was afraid you were going to hurt yourself, yeah, okay.
0: I told him, I can't be trusted. Um, he had a hand... On the
1: first date, and that's all I needed <laughs> to hear. You had me It can't be trusted. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, he he had a handgun that he usually kept locked up in his truck, but I had noticed that he just put it on the seat. And so everyone was asleep. I was drunk. Um... And I just, like, I just knew I couldn't, I couldn't live anymore. It was just too painful, too horrible. And I went out to the truck, and I opened the door. And I looked at the gun, and I imagined what my children would see. I imagined the gunshot would wake them all up. My eight-year-old... I just couldn't do it I couldn't do it I couldn't do that to them and because it would have killed a big part of them too I think and so I just I knew I, I knew I had to get sober that is the reason that I found a support group
1: and you've been sober since then
0: and I've been no I had it took me three tries okay um my husband uh, drank also, and a couple of times we did a Yui in the middle of the highway and went back to the bar. <laughs> it's really not funny, but it is. And
1: you've been married five times? Yeah. Um,
0: he was the last one.
1: Okay. Uh, what do you think that's about? The, the, is, it fair, <laughs> is it fair to say that there's an attraction to men who are emotionally unavailable?
0: No, it, it was really they couldn't take me anymore, um, you I know, manic and depressed and manic and depressed. And there was um, I remember writing about the same husband, my fifth husband. He found me lying in the closet on our shoes. And he and he said, sweetie, what's wrong? I said, I just can't. I can't. I can't deal. I can't get dinner. I can't do anything. I just, I just, just leave me alone. And he's, and he said, Well, come on. And he helped me up and put me in bed and he laid down next to me. And then he said, I want you back. And that, I just snapped. It's like, What the fuck?
1: You, You can say fuck.
0: What the fuck do you mean you want me back? I'm right here. This mood is part of me too. You just like it when I'm up and sexual and full of energy and you know but this is me too and they you know
1: it's pretty profound that's pretty profound why and yet i i I, why yeah because he was expressing his deepest truth about your relationship and you were expressing your deepest truth about you sad and that miscommunication is, is why i think it's so great that you're doing what you do because this isn't about people being wrong. This is about people not understanding how each other, how we, we feel. I mean, it's like you were both, it's, it's like he was there for you, but, um, he,
0: he didn't understand what it felt like. Yeah. And to tell someone that you want them back is like, well, I'm, I'm right here. And I I had heard that before, and it just pissed me off, (laughs) you know. Because
1: it's... And he,
0: you know, he couldn't take it anymore, so we broke up. My third husband, my son's father, um, I was with him longest. I had an affair, and he even accepted me after that.
1: Was it during a manic phase? Yeah,
0: but... No, I had to go back out and get blind drunk and sleep with the guy again. And it was just, it's just too much. He couldn't take it anymore. So um, you
1: don't blame any of them for no leaving?
0: I couldn't. Man, if they'd treated me that way, I would yeah. have left.
1: Have you had any conversations about that with them since you've gotten sober?
0: With my last husband, I have. We still talk he's sober now um i'm very proud of him that he's
1: what did you say to him did you, did when you he say, told me he's he's no a, what did you say about you know the the things that he experienced being your partner um was there any recognition on your part of how difficult it might have been for him yeah and and what did you do you remember saying what you said and how he reacted to it when you said it Um, or the gist of it. I don't
0: it. think there was just one conversation. I think what happened after we weren't living together anymore, he would come over. We remained lovers for a little while, but then my mood would change and it would freak him out again. And I think. So you
1: still weren't diagnosed at that point. You were no. just sober from, from yeah. the drugs and alcohol. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. This sobriety has made an enormous difference in my life. I am alive. I know that if I hadn't gotten sober, I would have killed myself because I was suicidal even when sober, and that's what sent me to the hospital.
1: Let's talk about that unless we're skipping over anything. Although, you know what? I want a couple of snapshots of just for selfish reasons because – Mania is so. I've experienced some hypomania. I've never experienced the up for days, two hours of sleep mania, um, and and uh, and I've experienced the you know the sexual component uh, uh, along with the mania as well. I'm fascinated by the bipolar one mania. Um, just give me some snapshots of of that you, that you think are emblematic of.
0: Well, one interesting thing, the thing that sent my, let's see, what number was he? One, two, three, fourth husband.
1: <laughs> that is so <laughs> awesome. <laughs> if you had pulled out an abacus, <laughs> say? I know he's somewhere in the middle of the abacus. <laughs> I just can't remember if it's I start on the right or the left. <laughs>
0: I always start on the left <laughs> okay Um. I don't know what was I saying the thing that drove
1: the, the snapshot of the mania
0: oh yeah Rapid cycling. I tend to rapid cycle,
1: which means the ups which, and, the, and the downs
0: are within close. an hour of each really? other. Oh my god! And that, that has to be horrifying. He literally ran away. <laughs> ran away. My poor daughter was stuck with me without anybody. But yeah, I mean, he had a couple of friends who were psychiatrists who lived in um, Florida at the time and he called them and said she's just one minute she's just high and loves me and you know wonderful and kissy 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 and then the next minute she just you motherfucker what the fuck and then and then in a half an hour it's like oh my god i can't believe i said that to you i'm so sorry i'm so sorry i'm so sorry it's Insane. What a
1: mind fuck to live with. I mean, what a mind fuck uh, to have inside you, but what a mind fuck for that person to live with because I know they don't know what they're feeling. They don't know where the truth is. Was I really a motherfucker? You know what? <laughs> that
0: it was it, that was horrible. So that my whole diagnosis is let's see. Do you want the whole thing? Yeah. Uh, bipolar one with psychotic tendencies, and I tend to, uh, mixed state which is um what i was just describing
1: Uh, quickly between the high and the low yeah um is mixed state also mean rapid cycling or okay um
0: no a mixed state means you can be manic and depressed at the same time a mixed state is where most people are when they actually go through with suicide i've heard that because you're so low But you have the energy and the fortitude to go ahead and do what you need to do to kill yourself.
1: So it's like you have the vigor, but you also have the darkness. Yeah. Wow.
0: That's a really dangerous place to be. That's what I
1: hear. Yeah. That's what I hear when people come up from the bottom of depression is often the most dangerous, the dangerous time. Because, yeah, when you're depressed, it's like,
0: well, if I'm going to kill
1: myself, I got to get out of bed. Fuck that.
0: Yeah. I remember this fourth husband left his shotgun in my house. And I called my neighbor because I was feeling very suicidal. And I said, God, I'm so embarrassed, but can you please, I'm paralyzed, can you please come and get this shotgun? And she said, I don't worry about it. My husband had a pistol to his head last night.
1: Are you kidding me? (laughs) Are you kidding me?
0: No. That is funny. funny.
1: We have a a word for those moments on the on the podcast. They're called awfulsome because they're awful in the moment and awesome in recalling them.
0: <laughs> oh, I like that. That awful, is an awfulsome.
1: So- you you've had about three or four awfulsome moments so far. <laughs> I mean, you may be, I may be handing you handing you a trophy as you uh, exit the room at the at the end of our oh, our, our conversation. Yeah. Um, so mixed state. I can't imagine mixed what state. what a mindfuck that's got to be. To
0: it's, it's pretty bad. <laughs> it's pretty bad.
1: I mean, bipolar one sounds so. It sounds like a bucking bronco.
0: Yeah. Oh, you know, I I've given speeches around, and I usually talk about how. You know, I. My family would just, before they knew anything, they would just watch me go through husbands' houses and cars. And, you know, five husbands is off the charts for some. Well, we had an aunt who had six husbands.
1: She had and to, I, she I, had to I, outdo you, didn't she?
0: Well, I wanted to beat her record, but I'm just tired. <laughs> are
1: you serious? <laughs> I, <laughs>
0: can't, you are? You're I can't serious? do it. I can't do it.
1: Seriously? Yeah, seriously. To? Oh, my God. That's... <laughs> That's fantastic. But
0: houses and cars, oh, my God. I I moved my youngest, my daughter, eight times in 12 years just because I'd see a house and it, I would have to have it so I'd sell my old house and buy this new house and oh, it man. was the, the, crazy the, making.
1: The danger of having some money to spend when you're in a manic state (laughs) is the shit that i bought when i used to work in uh, tv and um when i had disposable income it 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 was embarrassing it was like one year i got into i i tasted wine for the first time a good bottle of wine and within six months had a rented humidity controlled (laughs) wine locker With twenty four cases of wine from around (laughs) the world, and
0: wow, the first
1: time I bought a a, a, you know like a football card just on a whim in a in a store, within six months I had boxes of football cards, and I was (laughs) reading the you know the monthly newsletter on the. Within six months of getting a digital camera, I'd taken so many pictures of dogs at a dog park <laughs> that the picture <laughs> counter rolled over back to zero. Oh,
0: my God. How yeah. many is that? Over
1: 10,000. Oh, my God. Yeah. Actually, it was about oh. a year and a half. It was about a year and a half that it took wow. that long. But I remember when I went, why did it go back to zero? And I went, oh,
0: my God.
1: <gasps> oh, my God. Um,
0: I swore but- I was going to stop taking pictures of my dogs, but I <laughs>
1: It's impossible. I still do to this day, but not, not compulsively. Well, but,
0: I had a little service dog who I just this trip is her retirement trip. Oh my god. She's a Chihuahua Yorkie and she's ten and a half now and I
1: How do you not kiss that snout every moment oh of I every do. day?
0: She's so fabulous. But the last trip I took her on, I was sitting in the Minneapolis airport up on one of those high stools they have there with the counter, and she, you know, she's being a good little service dog, she had her vest on and everything, and all of a sudden she pulls away and runs into the crowd and jumps up on a really comfortable chair, and I was like, okay, (laughs) enough, (laughs) enough, she's too old. Yeah. She likes her comforts.
1: Um. For you, was the, and I guess I just want to ask you this because I want to compare notes because I don't, my, my psychiatrist does not consider uh, me to be bipolar. He thinks that, you know, I may be near the edge of bipolar. I think oftentimes a lot of the compulsive stuff was more in an effort to avoid what I was feeling Um, because I wouldn't, like I said, I wouldn't be up for, for days. Um, Do you know? For you, was it always related to your mania or sometimes was it related to your, maybe your alcoholism of of not wanting to feel of just to to numb yourself or maybe both? I don't know. What are your thoughts?
0: I remember being sober two weeks probably and being outside and screaming I don't know how to be happy. I don't know how to be sad. I don't know how to do anything. How the fuck am I supposed to function? I mean, I'd been drinking since I was 15 years old. How are you supposed to function all of a sudden, you know? Yeah. But then I learned and it just took the time. I'm
1: It takes time.
0: 14 years sober, February 1st.
1: That's that's awesome. Congratulations.
0: Thanks. Yeah, and another interesting thing about mental health was when I went to the hospital, I was told that if I hadn't sobered up, I was four years sober when I went to the hospital. That if I didn't have that sobriety, um, they'd have to start with getting me sober.
1: Yeah, I can't imagine how anybody can really tackle a mental illness if there's an underlying addiction without. um, without dealing with that. It, it's, I
0: don't think a good doctor I don't think a a doctor worth his medal would try and deal with somebody without asking them to sober up first.
1: I had 3 that didn't. <gasps> and then the third one refused to treat me until I got sober and I always thank him when I see him. You know, I I say you know, you're refusing to take my money probably. Helped save my life wow um talk about the hospitalizations uh, did were, was there any other um manic uh, snapshots that uh, that you wanted to uh, to share with us
0: oh man I have well it was my whole life till I was 50 See, if i I think I had my first psychotic break when I was twenty one
1: what was that like
0: and Well, I was going to American University in D.C. and I was living in this very dark little apartment um, up up the hill from Georgetown and um, I was sitting at my desk and my bed was over there and all of a sudden the hair on my neck prickled, stood up and I looked over and I was sitting there and I I was pale and I had big smudges under my eyes and my hair was hanging down. And, and the real me observing me, I was totally freaked out.
1: <laughs> was the you that you imagined, was that a reflection of physically how you were at that moment? Or was that you kind of projecting emotionally what you felt like?
0: Did you I think any? it was just a hallucination. Okay. Yeah.
1: So you weren't uh, kind of sitting in squalor necessarily. No. Uh-huh. Okay. No, um, no. What What were some of the other uh, hallucinations, if you can, if you can recall them?
0: I used to get a lot of out of body feelings. Like all of a sudden, I wouldn't know who I was. It was just I felt like I was this lump of. Flesh and bone, and who you know, there was no definition of who I was.
1: No and sense of self.
0: Yeah, I I haven't had one of those feelings for years. I was
1: sharing with a with a guest the other day. They or somebody sent sent an email or filled out a survey, but they said that they often feel like an apparition, and hmm. I so deeply relate to that because. And I shared that when people say my last name, like introduce me and say my last name, I'm always amazed that anybody knows my last name. <laughs> and it always kind of shocks me that I'm that visible, that um, that anybody would spend enough time thinking about me to know my last name. Well, that's... Weird. You can say weird.
0: It's weird. Yeah. It's... I mean you know coming in here for me coming in here and hearing you say well i heard you say this and you know with my book coming out and i mean help i'm gonna be walking along the street and somebody's gonna say something to me like they know me because they've read my book and i'm gonna freak out
1: (laughs) what are you afraid is going to happen
0: oh i don't know i'm just being dramatic Oh, okay. It's just to, it's I, just strange, you know. I have to
1: say when people stop me um and say, you know, I listen to the podcast, I really like it or help me with this or that or whatever. Um it's it's always it's always so so nice. It's I don't know if I've ever had a negative in-person experience from nice. talking about mental mental illness. Um that's pretty.
0: That's very cool. Yeah,
1: I have the feeling you're gonna. You probably already have because you've done a lot of uh, TV stuff. Um,
0: that I'm what, gonna what? What you said you're gonna uh,
1: experience a lot. I think a lot of that oh. p- positive stuff. Um, even though you probably, I suppose, already having done TV experiences with with Glenn on, uh, you know, all yeah. the national. Uh, well, things.
0: I I was remembering the other day how when i was young i um you know glennie wanted to be an actress and my sister tina wanted to be an artist which she is and my brother wanted to be a truck driver but he's a he's a machinist now um and i wanted to be a writer i didn't want anyone to know what i looked like i just wanted to be a writer so, in these days, it doesn't work that way. But
1: it doesn't. Um, talk about your relationship with uh, with your sister and how she has supported you and, and what it means to you.
0: Ugh. It means the world. She's first of all a really good friend, and we weren't always in our lives because of how we grew up. Um, I was always her baby sister.
1: And she's how much older than you?
0: Six years. Okay. Um, and she, oh, one of my fondest memories for when we were little, she and Tina had a room on the third story of the wonderful house I was telling you about in Connecticut um, before they sold it. And she had a blackboard in her room. And she was teaching me the the alphabet. So if she was, if I was four, I think eight, nine, 10, She was ten. <laughs> um, and just pretend
1: I, you're counting husbands. What? Just pretend you're counting husbands.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> one It'll hand. come, it'll come one quicker. Hand. Yeah. Um. So I remember falling in love with the letter I, because I could just do, and then boop no curves yeah and um she was just just wonderful she was a really she
1: she seems like a really nurturing person yeah i kind of fell uh in love with her as a as an actress uh when she played the mom in in garp she was so maternal in that
0: her first film yeah
1: was that her first yeah and she was only like five years older than than robin williams at the at that point, maybe even close to the same age, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, and she played his mom, uh, which I, I thought was interesting.
0: Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. How old was he when he passed? Sixty three.
1: Uh, I think so. I think so. So he's just so, two
0: yeah. years older than me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So he was only like three years younger than than Glenn. It
0: was extremely upsetting. My f- first reaction, I was pissed and then my anger turned to fear
1: that this could happen to you and
0: i i i thought to myself well if robin williams can kill himself what's keeping me from killing myself and then i was talking to uh one of the doctors i deal with about it and she said well you're stronger and i said i can't be strong robin williams are you kidding and then i started thinking about it and i mean why couldn't I be stronger? He had three kids.
1: That's the thing that's so difficult about mental illness is it's not quantitative. No. It's it's so difficult.
0: So sad.
1: It's such a tangled bowl of spaghetti, you never know. Oh is this my is, is this my something biologically that's fucking with me at this moment? Am I being Have I been selfish for a period of time, and I'm becoming self-obsessed, and uh, maybe the adjustment needs to be spiritual? Is my diet bad? Am I not exercising enough? Am I burying something about a relationship with this person, and am I I feeling triggered by something in the past? I mean, holy shit. Yeah. Holy shit.
0: Yeah. Well... I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but my my whole family were, were tested because two of us had been to McLean Hospital, and they took our blood first. My son, Kalen, they found a mutation in Kalen um, on a chromosome a chromosome. I can't remember. Think what of the husbands;
1: number. that'll help you get there. Think of the husband. <laughs> Just extrapolate. (laughs) I remember it was three times the number of (laughs) Hosmer. Gene number 15. Okay.
0: (laughs) Chromosome 9. That's what it was because I love it because it's 9, number 9, number 9. And it's an NMDA receptor, which means it's a psychiatric receptor. They found that uh, mutation in my son. When I came to the hospital, they found that mutation in me. So we were talking about, is it physical? No one else in my family has this mutation. I am what they call a mosaic in science speak.
1: Finally, they recognize your beauty
0: <laughs> <laughs> because it's only in this mutation is only in my blood, because they said it happened right at conception. Wow, But it is a physical thing. My son has it everywhere, everywhere because he inherited it directly from me so um you know science and what
1: what does it predispose you towards
0: towards mental health mental illness
1: and you said he he lives with schizoaffective Mm -hmm. and what is that like being a mother uh to, to someone who has schizoaffective
0: it was in the beginning. It was just the most horrible thing ever.
1: What are the characteristics of schizoaffective?
0: Schizoaffective is uh, schizophrenia and bipolar all rolled up into one package. Wow.
1: The Big Mac of mental illness. Yeah,
0: that's why it took two years of the hospital because they would get the um, they would get the the mania under control, um, and then he would he would get depressed. Or, um, wait, I'm trying to think of, um, the psychosis, they would get the psychosis of the schizophrenia under control and then something more bipolar ish. Would happen and they'd have to juggle, 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 juggle. I,
1: I have a friend who describes exactly that. It's like his, he would be incredibly, incredibly depressed and then he would come out of that and he would be incredibly, incredibly paranoid. He Ugh. would say, Every five seconds, I'm waiting for something to To come at me, that I'm going to have to defend my wife and myself. Ugh. That attackers are going to burst through the window.
0: Oh my God! How awful!
1: And then just completely, completely depressed, and then raging, angry, and wow. uh, yeah, it's been a real strain. Um, I'm hoping to get him as a as a guest. We we just have to find a time to do it. But um, as you as you talk about that, I I remembered um him sharing those things. So what's it like being a, a, a mom, watching your son go through that?
0: It's the worst thing in the world. What I remember you- he called me one, at one point, and he said that he'd been to the mall. And I said, how did you get to the mall? And he said, well, we took the van that goes, you know, the house van. And when I hung up with him, I went into the bathroom, and I puked my guts out thinking of my son my beautiful handsome incredible son in a van with crazy people i mean it was just more than i could i could not i could not deal i had to throw up (laughs)
1: now why would you being somebody who is quote unquote crazy yeah you know or has the crazy in them yeah um Why do you think you would, was it, was it sadness?
0: Well, it's okay for me to be crazy, but not my child. Yeah. So it
1: comes from a place of pain.
0: Terrible, terrible pain. Um, I think the worst night I ever had was when we were all living in Buzzman, Montana, and Kaylin brought his dog who he never left alone that dog was always with him and he dropped him off at my house and then he took off and i thought oh my god
1: he's gone to kill, he's himself. Gone
0: to kill himself he he didn't have a cell phone back then it just i called friends there was nothing they could do you know and he he did eventually come home And he said, yes, that's, he was, well, no, 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 no. He said that he, he'd gone to look for the portal to the real world. This was a theme that played out with his illness. Um, He had gone to look for the real world, and he needed to find the portal to get into it, which is why he signed himself into the hospital because he thought that they were going to let him find the real world. So in a way, His it's craziness kinda, worked it, it, for him gonna on say, that in that way. i say
1: in a way it kind of kind of true.
0: Yeah. But he I can't remember why he came back or what or or what, but um when he tells it it's, it makes sense. So what
1: what else would you like to share with, uh, with our listeners? Share about your story, share about your thoughts on mental illness, stigma, recovery, wh- where?
0: I guess what I'd like to impart the most, that if you have a mental illness and you're listening, um, we all feel the same insanity you're not alone you're not alone in the least and if you feel alone i don't know how la works are there clinics that people can go to or
1: yeah a lot of them you can google low-fee therapy in the name of your town or city or dial 211 uh, and there's a lot of, uh, if you live in the boonies, there's a lot of psychiatrists or therapists now, um, doing Skype. Wow. A lot. Yeah.
0: That's cool.
1: Yeah. Um, Susan Hagen, who was a, uh, former guest on our show, uh, I believe does Skype, um, sessions with people. So, um, it's, if you have the internet, uh, I should, I should qualify that if you have the internet. Yeah. Um, yeah yeah l a were very lucky i I actually took my own advice and um when I, w- I had been between therapists and um had kind of a mental and emotional crisis about two and a half years ago and uh googled San fernando Valley lofi therapy and found somebody that worked on a sliding scale. And she hadn't even wow. gotten her license yet. she was still in training, and she was one of the best therapists I've ever had incredibly empathic um very intuitive and she eventually moved out of state um so I had to find another therapist but uh it's wow. just because they're new doesn't mean they're not they're not qualified
0: I'm going to take that back to Montana because Montana has the highest suicide rate of any state really and um I live, like I I live part time in Bozeman and part time in a tiny little town which will remain nameless. Um, and there's nobody there, for so Skype would be amazing. Yes, yeah, it what is. What a great thing to learn. Mm-hmm. In fact, I was telling Pamela about this is how isolated I am that there was a mountain lion killed a deer on my property the couple weeks ago.
1: Wow. <laughs> so, wow. Did you watch it happen?
0: No, it was at night too. Oh. I wasn't there. I was in Bozeman. Wow. That's heavy. Scary, scary. Yeah. So I, I got a I got a an email from the Sierra Club or one of those clubs telling me I, I could send in some money to Save a mountain lion. <laughs> I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> Our mountain lions are well fed and happy because I live on a creek yeah. and they walk down the creek. So <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> yeah.
1: So is it a struggle for you being isolated up, up there uh, in terms of, no, you like no, it?
0: No, I love it. I don't even have airplanes fly over, it's so quiet. It's just You and your dogs. I have four little dogs. I wish I didn't have four, but someday I won't, so whatever. But, you know, in a creek, I can hear the creek from the house. Really? Oh, it's just heaven. And then when I want to see friends, and, oh, I'm a grandma now. My daughter had a baby, seven months old, October 3rd. So I spend most of the week in Bozeman so I can be near my baby.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, anything else you'd like to, to share? Uh, if they want to know, if they want to contact you or have any questions about your organization, they can go to bringchangetomind.org. .org
0: or Facebook.
1: Okay. Um, just yeah, look I for write a Facebook. blog
0: occasionally.
1: Is, is the Facebook page you or Bring Change to Mind's page?
0: bring change to mind page okay. i don't have a page
1: and again a reminder um the 2 is the letter 2 and bring change to mind um hmm? number, two. number say, 2 oh what did i say the letter 2 yeah
0: Ugh. jeez paul oh my god i
1: sicken <laughs> myself <laughs> <laughs> delete entire episode delete <laughs> oh, god, <laughs> um, no. um the the thrust of bring change to mind is to help combat the stigma around mental illness. Um can you give us a um a moment that pops to mind where you felt the brunt of the stigma around mental illness that wasn't in your mind. That was
0: Yeah. Um and I think this has happened right before I asked Glenn to help um, I said, you never have to give me birthday or Christmas ever, ever, ever again. Just help. And I had gone into our local bookstore in Busman, and um, I was thinking that, you know, I could help the situation if I could talk about what was going on. And I told them that my son... <laughs> <laughs> My son had been diagnosed with schizophrenia. Well, first of all, I had no idea what schizophrenia was, and they just stood there and looked at me, stunned, like, "What the heck do you expect us to say about that?" And I was, I, I was embarrassed. I was mortified. And then this older woman spoke up, and she said. That her grandmother had been schizo- had been schizophrenic, so
1: what did that feel like when she said it, that?
0: It felt like I had been released. I uh, it was a huge relief, and I have found that um, over the years we've really been traveling and talking about this since two thousand nine. Um, people. People want to hear you say it first. Mhm. You know,
1: it's safe that way.
0: Yeah. It keeps them safe.
1: What were you hoping for the bookstore to do or say by sharing <laughs> that with them? I
0: don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. I I don't know. I mean, I I'm kind of a a a private person, so I, you know, I don't
1: it's kind of out of character for you to open up. Yeah,
0: I, I don't know. I mean, I, maybe I just needed to say something, you know.
1: And so then what did you say to your to your sister?
0: I said, um, you don't have to give me birthday or Christmas ever, ever, ever again, but can you please help somehow with the prejudice that Kaylin and I feel f- from people... When talking about our illnesses, you know, I mean, if I had cancer, everyone would be, oh, yeah, yeah, you're so great, you know.
1: I think it's changing. I think it's changing. I think it is, too. You know, the thing that's so difficult about it is so many people, when they're in the grips of a mental illness that they don't understand or they don't even know they have, the outwardly we're experienced by other people as an asshole. Right. And... It's also hard to know sometimes was I an asshole because of my mental illness or was I an asshole just because, because I was I'm being an asshole. An asshole. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> it certainly doesn't help that that's um, that's what we're up against is the you know those blunt those blunt coping mechanisms that don't that don't work until we're diagnosed and and managing and that's one of the things I loved in the guest blog he wrote wrote I tried to remember what the address uh the web address of it was but you shared that one in four people uh lives with mental illness and you asked you know for those of you that are the other three please help us
0: please. I did? Yeah. Huh. You did. That was good to say. <laughs>
1: <laughs> do your meds affect your memory? Mine do. Oh yeah. And people take yeah. it personally and i'm like you you don't understand talk to my wife she will clue you in Yeah, she learned to laugh uh, about you know instead of feeling hurt yeah. a long time ago
0: yeah we call it vocab um now i can't remember um oh what's it called i can't remember it'll come to me of course i can't remember cuz my dad
1: used to call it your brain gro- going into screensaver <laughs> Uh, and, and anything else you'd, uh, you'd like to share, Jesse?
0: Oh, we could talk for hours. Um, have courage. Have courage and love the people around you, and maybe they'll be able to love you a little bit more.
1: <laughs> yeah, and oftentimes that courage, I think, means being that first person to say something that's vulnerable. Um, I said something on the podcast once. I was chatting with a guest and I said, I hate small talk. Um, I Sometimes I just want to say, do you ever feel like jumping off a bridge or do you ever feel <laughs> like that emptiness inside your chest is going to swallow you? But you can't say that at a cocktail party. And I looked once and uh, that had been shared 46,000 times on Tumblr. Wow. And I was like, wow, so other people feel this. This is just not me. And I felt really proud of the fact that I had said that publicly. Yeah. Um, But if I had never said that publicly, uh, I would have never known that so many other people feel that way. But I think it's also easier for me because I'm in the arts and we don't get um, the stigma that people do who are an insurance salesman or live in a small town and they're Part of the country club or whatever where there's you know a little more of a magnifying glass on them with some more societal pressure i remember telling
0: my daughter who can be very shy that um most people aren't even watching or listening to you because they're too they're (laughs) they're you know focused on themselves and how they look and what they're gonna say next, so
1: if you understood the the depths to which we are all involved in our own shit, yeah, you would take it so much <laughs> less personally,
0: yeah
1: <laughs> that's one of the things I learned getting sober was, oh, everybody else is self involved, everybody yeah. else is, yeah, it's not that I was being thought badly of, I wasn't being thought of, and in a certain way, that's hurtful, but I'm the same way, yeah. I'm the same way, yeah, yeah. Well, Jesse thank you so much for coming in and sharing your, uh, well your life welcome. with us and uh, thanks for for doing what you do
0: thanks
1: That was really nice to, uh, to talk to Jesse and uh, thanks to uh, Pamela for uh, connecting us and bringing Jesse uh, out here to be on the uh, on the podcast um, before I take it out with a massive stack of surveys want to remind you guys there's a couple of different ways to support the show um, if you're so inclined, go to the website, metalpod.com. You can make a one-time PayPal donation. Or my favorite, become a monthly donor for as little as five bucks a month. It may not seem like a lot to you, but it adds up and uh help keep helps to uh to keep the podcast going because this is the it's the only thing that, that I do. It's it's my gig. Um and we could always use uh, more money. Um you can also support us if you're going to buy something at Amazon, enter through our search portal and uh, Amazon will give us a couple of nickels if you buy something. You can also um, buy coffee mugs or t-shirts and, um, on our website. And you can also support us non-financially by going to iTunes and writing something nice about us, giving us a good rating, and um, also by spreading the word through social media about the podcast that that helps a lot so any of those things or as i like to say you can sit on the couch with your thumb up your ass and that would be considered going and fucking yourself and i have no problem with that that's actually it burns calories not a lot a little bit but all right This is, oh, while I'm thinking of it, have any, have you guys ever heard of a DNA test called GeneSight? G-E-N-E-S-I-G-H-T. They have a website, genesight.com, and I heard, I got an email from a listener who, um, whose psychiatrist said, um, take this test. I guess they swab your mouth, they send it in, and they do a DNA test, and they can tell you which, Meds you can metabolize or not, so it rules out which ones you should try. And it's—I think it costs like three hundred bucks or something. But I'm wondering, have have you have you guys heard of this? Have to any doctors or psychiatrists or therapists out there, or or uh, um, people that have uh, take meds? Have you had any experience with this? Let me uh, let me know because it uh, it sounds promising, but I don't know anything about it. Um. All right, to the surveys. This is a struggle in a sentence survey. I'm going to need a sip of tea. Plug your ears. Moving away from the mic. This is filled out by a woman who calls herself, I'm probably in fetal position. God, I love your names. About her depression, not being able to physically laugh at something hilarious. Oh, do I know that one? About her PTSD, I've made my body and my life into a minefield and I'm too broke to afford the bomb squad. About being a sex crime victim, who cares if someone sees me undressed in the window? Dad already did. That is so creepy. I am so sorry. I am so sorry. This is filled out by a guy who calls himself wistful fucker about his ADD. I want to do everything, but someone keeps hiding my stuff. (laughs) Um, Let's see, what other? A snapshot from his life. I was hunted by an underage girl and I liked it. We quote dated. Her parents didn't care how old I was. I wouldn't fuck her, but I manually masturbated her and devoured her body. I also had a van. That is heavy, that is heavy, um, and then any comments to make the podcast better. Have a man on who's ashamed of wanting slash abusing an underage girl. Well, it would be a fascinating guest. I just don't know who, who would, uh, who would do that, and I would be a little torn because I, I wouldn't certainly want to um, seem as if I was. Um, condoning it or doing it in a sensationalistic manner, but I think it would be um it would be fascinating and i, I don't know would it be illuminating you know i want to, i want to um interview all kinds of people you know one of my hopes is to eventually uh interview a a serial killer but i don't know is that is that being is that being sensationalistic? Will will we glean anything from that? Will, will we walk away from that having uh, uh, felt like we understand the human condition better? I don't know. This is a happy moment filled out by Little SP and she writes, realizing that what I went through has made me more compassionate, understanding, and accepting than I could have ever been had these things not happened in my life. Beautiful. Beautiful. Struggle in a sentence filled out by a guy who calls himself Alpha Geek about his depression. It's a uh, major slash bipolar. He writes, the world has gone gray and bland across the board. My soul has shriveled up, been freeze-dried, turned to dust, and the dust has blown away in the wind. That's almost like a song. Like You got you to get Kansas to put some music to that. That is good. Very poetic. Can I just stop and tell you guys how blown away I am on a consistent basis at your ability to communicate your inner lives to me? And you do it, you volunteer it, you take the time out and you go to your computer knowing the chance is good that it's not going to get read but you do it anyway and it is like the third guest on this podcast and I just want to I just want to thank you I'm just so um, I'm just so blown away by it and then here's here's just the perfect example that just makes my day this guy calls himself Herbert's butthole is watching us all Oh, and of course, he's got something dark here uh, about him being a sex crime victim. Let he who hath not sucked a dick cast the first stone. Looking at uh, a snapshot from his life. Looking out at my classroom with as big of a smile as I can muster, asking my students how their weekend was while remembering the metallic taste of the barrel of the shotgun I held in my mouth with my toe on the trigger less than six hours prior. Wow. That is... That that might be the show in a nutshell. That that is... uh, Thank you. Thank you for that. (laughs) Any comments to make the podcast better? More going to fuck myself... More Paul telling himself to shut up, less ominous, tyrannical, all-knowing butthole of Herbert, who is totally unawares of the world domination his anus is implementing. This guy's my new best friend. Thank you for that. This is an awful moment filled out by uh, Freaka Rooney, and she writes uh, When I was 17, turning 18, I was heavily drinking every single night to the point of waking up every morning having pissed myself. Because I was a disgusting person, I hardly ever cleaned it up, too. I literally let my gross basement room get worse every day, constantly reeking of urine. One morning, my mom finally came close to my bedroom and let me know that it smelled like pee and asked why, and me being completely unable to admit I was an alcoholic, I then made up an elaborate and incredibly detailed story about how our cat came into my room last night, knocked over all my stuff, and peed on my bed. I was then informed that our cat had passed away four days earlier. <laughs> oh! Mwah. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by Clara. In fact, these next two are by uh, mental health uh, workers. And I thought they were um, really fascinating. Uh, anyway, Clara um, is straight. Uh, she writes, actually, I literally have no idea. Straight-ish, question mark. She's in her 20s, raised in a stable and safe environment. Um, I don't know if I would say that, Um Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Yes, and I never reported it. From ages 9 to 12, my brother made me do sexual things to him. He made me jack him off and give him blowjobs. He tried to have anal sex with me once, but it hurt so much that he stopped. Sometimes I would purposely try to act out around him so he would pay attention to me and touch me. I will never forgive myself for that. Now, isn't that amazing? She, She... well, let me read this next part first. Uh, darkest Thoughts. I am a successful therapist, but I feel like I only got here because I am fucked up. I have instinct in the field that serves me well, but it feels like a burden. More than once, I have hurt myself at work and purposely let the damage be ever so slightly visible around coworkers just to see if someone would help. No one ever has. I don't want someone to save me, but I want someone to notice that I am just fucking hurting. I want the same empathy that I give my patients. Um, But the first thing that I wanted to say is that how you could call a household where your brother is molesting slash raping you uh, stable and safe, uh, I don't know. And as a therapist, um, you know intellectually that you are not to blame for acting out so that you're brother would pay attention to you and touch you that was a a child doesn't doesn't know that you know i i when my neighbor did stuff uh to me that one time i still enjoyed the time that we spent together i still even though i felt a little different about him afterwards um i still enjoyed getting attention from him you know he was an older kid and um there there you you know you write i will never forgive myself for that there is nothing there is nothing to forgive um but you know this and this is this is one of the reasons why i wanted to read this this survey is because it speaks to the depth our brains will go to try to put the blame on on us and we can know it intellectually but there's it's like there's this membrane that can only be broken by sharing it deeply and personally with other people who really get it. That's, that's been the only thing for me that has allowed me to understand it on an emotional level and to forgive myself. Um, and not blame myself for the being taken advantage of. Um, Sorry, continuing. Uh, Darkest secrets. I tried to hang myself last week. I've been excessively researching suicide methods lately. Um, Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I'm pretty boring, but I love watching cream pie porn with couples. It just seems like such a normal sexual thing for a couple, and I've never experienced that kind of intimacy. Um, And I forget what cream pie is. Uh, I'm sure somebody will email me and and remind me what it is. I know it has to do something with jizz uh, jizz and a crust. Uh, (laughs) Oh, that sounds disgusting. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? To my neighbor that I played, quote, doctor with, I know we were both acting out and something probably happened to you too, but that doesn't make it okay. I am disgusted that I was a perpetrator too. You're a therapist. Why are you blaming yourself for things that you did as a kid? Uh, Have you shared these things with others? I've shared very little with my own therapist. I'm working on trust. How do you feel after writing these things down? I feel sick. I feel like a monster. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Sometimes there are moments when everything is okay and when your brain tries to tell you that you shouldn't be happy. During those times or that depression needs to be your entire reality, don't listen. Take those moments and remember them on the dark days. Depression lies. Agreed. And I hope I hope you can open up to your therapist and um and you know, maybe find a uh, an incest survivor's uh, support group. I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this to um, a therapist because I'm just a fucking jackass trying to do the best he can, but this just speaks to how hard it is for us to take our own our own advice because we think we're different, that we should be able to get over it and not feel the way we do. And this is, um, I think this is the other one. Yes, uh, this is the other uh, mental health worker. She calls herself Questionable Choices. And she is uh, in her 20s. She's bisexual. She was raised in a stable and safe environment. Um, She was the victim of sexual abuse. Uh, I was sexually assaulted by someone in my friend group at age 17. I developed PTSD, which was successfully treated through therapy. This really shifted me as a person, and I chose to study psychology in college, get my master's in social work, and help others to heal from trauma. She's never been physically or emotionally abused. Any positive experiences with your abusers? Interesting question. I still see my abuser at an annual Christmas party. It's as if he goes out of his way to be kind to me. I know he regretted what he did because he sent me an apology message the morning after he took advantage of me. Darkest thoughts, that my personal struggles are actually what makes me an excellent clinician. If I ever cease to struggle, will my empathy and connectedness decrease? I can't imagine it would. Because I think it's once it's there, it's there. It's, it's like playing a musical instrument. That, that, that muscle memory is, uh, is there. That's, that's my take. Darkest secrets. I have a sugar daddy that only one of my very best friends knows about. We connected online and have been getting together about twice per month for almost a year now. He is older, very rich, and his wife passed away from cancer. I would guess that he is about 60 and I am 26. I initially started browsing because I was taking an overload of classes in my last semester of my Masters of Social Work program and couldn't take out enough student loans to cover the extra credits. We met for sushi, got along great, and he gave me $100. Now he visits a couple of times per month and we typically share a bottle of wine, good conversation and intimacy, and he leaves me $750. I know this is illegal, but I can't help but feel that it is an appropriate way for both of us to have our needs met. We have always had excellent communication and I have never been asked to do anything I am remotely uncomfortable with. I feel respected by him at all times and I am confident that when our arrangement stops it will be handled well by both of us. My deep fear, however, is that this choice will be something that a future romantic partner would consider to be a deal breaker. I like to be absolutely honest with anyone that I date and worry that I will not find someone that I love. that will be okay with this chapter of my past. I think I'm a very self-aware person and constantly reflect on my own emotions, but I worry about how another would react to the secret. I guess you could say internally, I don't feel shame about this, but I worry that makes me unlovable. Wow, that is deep. That is deep. And thank you for that uh, incredible honesty. And, um, you know, I have the feeling from from the type of person that I get from you reading this is that you the kind of person that you would connect with would just naturally be the type of person that would understand that chapter of your life you know that that it would it wouldn't do do you guys understand what I'm saying that it's the type of person that would would judge you for that. Um, already, probably wouldn't be the type of person that you would want to spend your life with. And that's that's my take. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I've been lucky to have partners that allow me to explore my desire for control and light BDSM. Have you shared these things with others? Um, it felt very liberating. Uh, and as if it brought us closer. How do you feel after writing these things down? It feels nice to have confessed what I consider my deepest secret at the moment. It also seems to have sped my mind up. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? I don't see morality as black and white. In the context of your life, you have to make the decisions that work for you without harming others. I'd say, with regard to my own circumstance, that's what's important, is not... Actually, what I'm that I'm breaking a law. It's that I worry about it harming the future capacity to have the type of romantic relationship I want. Thank you for that. That was very interesting. And I'm so flattered that, that mental health professionals fill these things out. Man, just amazes me. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Oh for the love of dog. And she writes, so I have a Bernese mountain dog named Sherlock. He's super cute and huge. If you don't know what one looks like, I recommend you look them up. It will help you picture this situation. But even if it doesn't, you'll have seen cute puppies and that's never a bad thing, right? So when he was around one year old, he got really messy playing outside and he really needed a bath. I was having a crappy day and could not be bothered to take him to the hydro bath or pull my 40-kilo dog into the bath. Instead I, instead, I got the bright idea to strip down to my undies and drag him into the shower. I got the shampoo and, uh, and lathered him up because he was rolling around in the dirt. There was a lot on his belly, and since I used to be a dog groomer, the fact that there was some clinging to the fine hairs on his penis and balls didn't really bother me. I did, however, totally space out while rubbing his belly with him standing facing me and cleaning off the gunk. Now, Sherlock's, Sherlock isn't de-sexed, and for an XL breed, he would have been the equivalent of a teenager, so he got more than a little excited by all the attention without me really noticing in my s- spaced-out state, and as I'm trying to work the annoying sandy mud, he blows his load all up my arm. I looked at him And he looked at me with that big, dopey face as though he hadn't done anything wrong at all, and I just burst out laughing. All I could think was, here I am, half naked in the shower at 23, and the first guy I ever jack off is my furry-ass dog. Can't make this shit up. You cannot. This is... I just want to read an excerpt from this this is from um a listener uh, who calls herself hannah and um, she is 15 and um this is just a a portion of her uh, shame and secret survey darkest secrets when i was in fifth grade my step grandma accidentally overdosed on her anxiety pills inducing a seizure in a heartbeat my parents completely shut her out of my life Saying that she could never be trusted or left alone with their kids, and who knows what other kinds of drugs she's doing. I haven't seen my grandma since, and I miss her so much. This was my first taste of my parents' complete lack of understanding about mental illness. The day I was about to tell them about my self-harm, my mother called out a girl with short sleeves and scars, saying she was, quote, attention-seeking, and, quote, the school should make her cover up. This only fueled my self-harm. And I've even stolen staples from my teachers to go hurt myself in the bathroom. I often keep needles hidden inside hairbands on my wrist so I can escape at a moment's notice. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone? Mom, I need you to be my mother. I need you now more than ever. Do you even notice me? Have you even seen me retreat? Have you even seen me retreat into my shell in the past year? You must. I'm becoming less and less of the little girl you knew. And I'm afraid you won't. Don't love the depressed me anymore. Help me, Mom. I need you to be the one to reach out first. Wow. Oh, Hannah. Everybody listening is so rooting for you. You... You can't even imagine how how moved we are by that and how much so many of us relate to that. And if you're listening, I don't know if your mom is going to be the first one to reach out. So maybe you should reach out to maybe a school counselor, um, a trusted friend. If there are friends that you can really, really trust, Um, I mean, maybe try reaching out to your mom, but your mom sounds pretty emotionally illiterate and, um, something as, as complicated as what you're going through. Um, I'm just worried it, it would make you retreat even more if she shamed you. Um, so maybe talk to a counselor and then once you get some footing with that counselor then maybe you could bring your parents into the fold and then you'd have that counselor who can who can help mediate and educate your parents um but oh man that that hang in there hang in there this is filled out also by a teenager uh he's 16 and he calls himself Jack O'Row. and um he is straight he like i said 16 raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment he's never been sexually abused not sure if he's been physically or emotionally abused darkest thoughts in sixth grade i wrote several short stories in english class most of which dealt with morbid topics such as murder rape general violence etc my teacher commended me for my advanced writing style but also treated me differently resulting in other students eventually treating me differently as well i'd Recently moved to the school district and gained an identity of being a creepy, weird, dark kid. I've always thought of myself as being fucked up because of how differently I was treated, and I frequently contemplate committing elaborate acts of violence against my schoolmates. Not seriously, I don't think. I think of different ways of committing suicide on a daily basis and find that making the process of killing myself as absurd as possible helps me keep the thoughts at bay. Darkest Secrets I attempted to have sexual intercourse with a female dog at least once when I was uh, 12 or 13. I'm so disgusted with myself just thinking about it. I also took voyeuristic videos of women in bathrooms when I was around that same age by setting up a camera under the sink facing the toilet. It's so fucked up. I have no idea what I was thinking. I'm more disgusted by it now than you are, believe me. You know, my thought after reading this is... Um, You know, you're, you're, I'm sure you're having problems uh, forgiving yourself, but the important thing is it doesn't sound like you're doing this anymore. And that's the most important thing is that you've learned from these things that you've done that you didn't feel good about yourself afterwards and you're not doing them anymore. That, that is the most important thing. And you were 12 and 13 when you did this, you know, you were still a child. You're still a child. And a lot of people, um, I'm not condoning it, but a lot of people hitting puberty um, do stuff with their dogs. I see it all the time in these surveys. Again, not saying uh, go and do it, but you're not a monster. You're not a monster. Um, So... What, if anything, do you wish for happiness, making right my past wrongs, making the world a better place in perhaps subtle ways? You sound like a really sweet kid. You sound like a really sweet kid. And all that stuff about, you know, writing morbid topics, dude, if you saw some of the shit I wrote in sophomore English class. I think one of my short stories was about somebody hitting a bong, sitting in a beanbag chair, and then spontaneously combusting, and then all that was left was a pile of goo. And I just remember my teacher reading it and just looking at me like, "What is what is wrong with you?" And uh, yeah, dude, you are not alone. You are not alone. Um. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Stallman. And um, he is gay. He's in his 20s. He was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Uh, He was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. He writes, I was put through uh, reparative conversion therapy intermittently from the age of 16 to 19, both voluntarily and involuntarily. Part of the treatment was being instructed oh, what did I say kind of an environment was erased and pretty dysfunctional. Yeah, I couldn't remember if I said that or not. Uh, part of the treatment was being instructed to strip naked and quote, arouse myself whenever heterosexual pornography was displayed on a screen in front of me. Conversely, when homosexual pornography or even affection was displayed, I'd be instructed to take emetics, which would make me throw up, or given electric shocks via electrodes attached to my genitals and hands and arms. I still have a lot of trouble with my digestive tract and often feel physically sick when I think of a man in a sexual way or try and be intimate with my boyfriend. I'm 21. Fuck. Have you ever been physically or emotionally abused? Uh, he's been both. Both physical and emotional abuse from, from both of my parents. I've been hospitalized once by my father after he found out I'm gay. I refused to hit him back, but that hasn't stopped him beating on me almost every time I see him. Thankfully, he is now divorced from my mom, but that's brought a lot of shame on my family, and we've had to leave our church. My brother blames me for the divorce, and to an extent, I blame myself. Even now, when I see my dad, he goes to great lengths to remind me that he doesn't consider me his son and that he tells his friends he only ever had one son. Any positive experiences with your abusers? It's incredibly complicated. I still feel a great deal of love for my father despite what he's put me through. I'm always open to forgiveness. I do believe in the unwavering capacity for love and healing through God's grace. I'll be there when my dad comes around and opens his arms again to me. Darkest thoughts. Death and dying. Though I am open about this with my therapist, I deal a lot with suicidal ideation. My God, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Um, darkest Secrets. Uh, I have very murky memories of time spent with my old pastor back when I came out at the start of my reparative therapy. I think my memories are very fuzzy for a reason. I know that I spent time naked with them, and I know they touched me, but I don't know if it was in only a clinical sense or a more sinister one. I'm not sure I'll ever know. I don't know if what you went through could be any more sinister. There, That, that is not a scientific clinical thing that is abuse that is institutional abuse it's religious abuse and it is they should your dad should be in jail for um beating you and uh those quote pastors should be in jail for uh what they did to your genitals uh Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. This probably sounds pathetic, but just having sex without feeling an intense level of guilt or nausea is a fantasy for me because it hasn't happened yet. I have an extraordinarily patient boyfriend who is helping me figure out what I can do and what I can't do and is guiding me safely towards what I want to do. In terms of other sexual fantasies, I can't speak from experience, but I like the idea of being tied up and at the mercy of someone else completely. This, no doubt, comes from my teenage years, and I'm not sure it's something I'll ever be able to act on, but in a trusting and loving setting, it definitely gets me going. Ha ha. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I tell my dad that I forgive him, and that I love him, and that I'm ready when he is. You know what I would love to hear you say? I would love to hear you say to yourself, I love you, and I'm going to protect you, and and to take a break from your dad. You know, we can drive ourselves crazy going back to that dry well thinking there's water and your dad, at least for now, sounds like a dry well. He knows how to get a hold of you, but he is abusing you emotionally and you deserve better. What, if anything, do you wish for? Inner peace. The level of turmoil I feel every waking hour is close to unbearable most nights. I also wish more knew that PTSD does not solely happen to veterans, not to take away from their struggle at all. The respect I have for our vets is enormous, but it would help a great deal if more people realized that PTSD can be caused by many, many kinds of trauma. Have you shared these things with other others? I'm now on my fifth therapist, and they're amazing. I'm so incredibly grateful I pushed on until I found someone I trusted that works with me really well. I never feel shame or guilt when talking to them. also, my best friend he always always has time for me and is the human equivalent of Yoda when it comes to the advice he has to offer me how do you feel after writing these things down i've never understood the appeal of journaling things but it's a definite feeling of relief and trepidation question mark getting this down i hope at least if some gay guy in the middle of nowhere hears this he knows that he is not alone is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences you are not alone There is no reason for you to be going through this alone either. Reach out to those around you, a family friend, a teacher, a counselor, a doctor, anyone that you trust with what is going on. You can even find a ton of extremely helpful resources online that are staffed by professionals who can get you started if you're not comfortable turning to the people around you. There are people out there who want to help you, but they can't if you don't reach out first. Thank you. Thank you for that. That is so... You just sound like the sweetest soul. Just the sweetest soul. If you ever get to LA, shoot me an email. because I would love to interview you. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Rochambeau. She's straight. She is, how old is she? Her age is covered up. She's in her 50s. She was raised in a stable and safe environment. Um, Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Uh, Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Uh, Uncle touched slash fondled me inappropriately between ages of 5 and 12. He was 7 years older than I. Yeah, I would say that's sexual abuse. Um, Have you ever been emotionally abused? Uh, And this is the thing that I, why I wanted to read uh, her survey is because we don't have much of this on the podcast because it's always about the the children suffering at the hands of the parents and here's one where it's where it's it's the other way around <clears throat> um my son has been battling mental illness for 15 years he is 32 and unemployed He would get violent when he was mad. My son never hit me, but would break windows, throw furniture, punch walls. He would scream in my face. I would tell him to stop. I am 5'2, 96 pounds. He is 5'10, 200 pounds. I cringe when I hear his footsteps. Whenever I hear a loud noise in the house, I know there's something up with my son. He once cracked my car's windshield by kicking it. Neighbors would call the police. He's been on a psychiatric hold four times. He would yell at me in public. People would stare and ask if I was okay. It's the most helpless feeling when you don't know what to do or how to help your loved ones when they are ill. I could kick him out, but I won't. He's my son, and I still love him. I see a therapist. Any positive experiences with your abuser? I take it a day at a time. Uh, When I can get a smile from my son, we had a good day. Uh, deepest darkest thoughts Uh, I have a secret death wish the sooner I die the sooner I'll have freedom I won't act on this my two dogs would be lost without me darkest secrets I wish I wasn't a mom being a mom is the most thankless job in the universe I never got a turn I sacrifice and continue to make sacrifices I gave them everything I am basically drained um What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? Oh, and she has no sexual fantasies. Uh, What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? My husband, I feel resentful for giving up my dream for him. Um, What, if anything, do you wish for not being a mom? Have you shared these things with others? Yes, I told my kids not to have kids. But if they did, to make sure their partner was a solid, responsible person. It's hard being a single parent. How do you feel after writing these things down? It feels good. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? There will be good days and bad days. Being kind to others helps me be kind to my mentally mentally ill son. And I hope that you're finding, I don't know what it's like with your schedule, but finding something to recharge your battery, you know? It's so important. It's so important. And I'm sorry you and your, your son are struggling. That sounds really, really fucking overwhelming. Um... This is this is a a, sh- a struggle in a sentence filled out by a woman who calls herself I don't like my name and um I don't know what uh, you would call this because she doesn't give it a name um but in the snapshot from her life she writes um I do not associate with the characteristics I've been born with. My name, my hair color, this shade of my skin, size of my boobs, my sexuality, my voice, my talents, my abilities, and family. I feel like I'm trapped, even though there is nothing particularly wrong with me. People have always been telling me how very talented I am, how good-looking I am, how very well I'm doing in life, or in other words, I must be satisfied. Since I started changing these things to meet my inner sense of what I feel like, people tell me they don't recognize me anymore, that our relationships have gotten worse. But in reality, I've begun to feel so much better, so much more free in myself. I guess they never realized the struggles I live with, never took my words seriously. I'm currently considering changing my name. I fear if anyone will ever understand. I I fear if anyone will ever understand. I fear that I'm not getting something that everyone Everybody else sees in me and in life. I'm not okay, and these changes won't magically make everything fine, but they would take some of my discomfort away. When I'm not in mania phase, I yell at my body to spit my soul out, to let it go, free it from these genes in society. When I'm in mania, I'm too busy focusing on the discomfort. That was was fascinating. I wonder what that would... uh, what that would be called. I don't know, but thank you for that. Maybe it doesn't have a name. <sighs> I got to read this one just for the name. Uh, this is a guy who calls himself Paul, you delicious fuckface, I love you. How do I not read that? I am easy to butter up. About his depression, he writes, who knew avoiding thinking could be so exhausting? About his ADD, there's no limit to what I can do. However, I will not finish any of it. How about his OCD? I'm just dying to stop counting things, but I can't. And in the parentheses, he puts 10 words. Snapshot from his life. I'm on meds for OCD uh, now, so this is an old story. I'm so glad I don't have to do this anymore, and I strongly encourage anyone with OCD to see a doctor and be open to the idea of meds and or therapy. Christmas time, going to the grocery store. 68 tiles in the concrete walkway between me and the door already walked past 22 tiles. The guy in the Santa suit asking for money has rung his bell 17 times since I got out of the car. With great focus, I am managing not to walk to the beat of the sappy Christmas Muzak playing over the speakers. I don't get comfort from counting. I simply have no choice. That's great. Fantastic. Fantastic. Struggle in a sentence by a guy who calls himself reds, not my color. About his depression. Chronic unipolar depression. Moderate. I just want to be as happy as I imagine everyone else would be if I died. That is fantastic. About his anxiety. Oh no, what if I get sad one day? Now I'm sad. I'm going to be sad. About his OCD. Shit. My foot touched the inside of my underwear. I guess I have to throw them away now. Need to put on a clean pair so I can go over and have unprotected anal sex with my partner. About his PTSD. I should really sit down and try to remember just what happened back then. Wait, why am I doing the dishes? About being an abuser. Every time I see the scars from where you asked me to cut you, I get hard and I die a little more inside. And then, I'm not really sure, um, I'm going to read this one. He, he writes, trigger warning, question mark. Having rough sex with my girlfriend, both of us high, while she cried and attempted to crawl away, telling me to stop. Then having her immediately cuddle up to me afterwards and tell me how much she loves me and how hot it was and how she wished I would do stuff like that more while I stare off into space, feeling disgusted with myself. Never did happen again, though we did extreme things, but I still remember and tell myself that I'm a monster. I wasn't clear whether or not it was something that you were role-playing and had both agreed to ahead of time or something that you both happened into and you both felt differently about it afterwards um or it was bad for both of you and she was just um trying to have you not feel guilty i don't know but thank you for sharing that because so often we get surveys that are just from the other the other point of uh of view um All right. This is a long one. This is our last long one. We just uh, after this, we just have a, a couple of uh, happy moments and an awfulsome moment. Um, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold this one for uh, for another week. It's just too fucking long, and it's really heavy. It's really heavy. Uh, this is an awfulsome moment filled out by a woman who calls herself hey that's me Uh, she writes i've had trichotillomania for 15 years maybe more it's a huge problem for me i've destroyed various parts of my body with digging for hair throughout my life i destroyed my bikini line most recently it was covered in open wounds and was terribly embarrassing but i finally stopped i stopped touching that area at all um my success hit me one day when I shaved my lady area but left my bikini line untouched so I wouldn't be tempted to pick it. I looked in the mirror at my hairless vag bordered with a bushy bikini line and laughed at how ridiculous it looked and how proud I was that I had let the hair grow so much. Kudos to you and uh, we have a name for that. Uh, that look is called the uh, Dilbert's Boss. This is uh, a happy moment filled out by Amy, and she writes, On my sixth birthday, when I blew out the candles, I wished that I would be dead before I turned seven. I lived a fairly troubled childhood and ended up wishing for death on every birthday following my sixth. Sixth. However, last week I turned 20, and it was different. I'm in the middle of my second year of college and finally free from my emotionally abusive parents. I knew uh, that was I knew that was doing better, but I didn't realize how much better until I was about to blow out my candles when I realized I had no fucking clue what to wish for. Um, oh, she left out the I. I knew that I was doing better, but didn't realize how much better until I was about to blow out my candles when I realized I had no fucking clue what to wish for. I was surrounded by friends, two of whom had driven three hours to surprise me. I'm loving what I'm learning in classes and have joined extracurricular that i enjoy as well my mental illnesses have been ma- haven't been magically cured and i still have a lot of days in which i feel terrible the difference is that i now know i don't need to die because i feel terrible so this year when i was blowing out the candles i wished that i would be alive to turn 21. thank you for that beautiful and then finally this is a happen- happy moment from uh maja I think that's how you pronounce her name, M-A-J-A, and um, she's 15. And she writes, a month ago, I had a huge breakdown for two weeks. I basically never got out of bed, and I just wanted to not exist. I've never felt so low in my life. I didn't feel anything. I asked my mom, dad, friends, therapists for help because I didn't know what to do, and I was scared. I was scared I was going to kill myself, and they told me to get over it. My older sister, who I've never really been super close with, asked me if she could come over, and at first I said no, because I didn't want her to see me like this. Uh, Not showered in two days, my room covered in trash and food and looking like a zombie, but I said yes anyway. When she came to my house, she just hugged me and told me that everything was going to be all right. I was really surprised, and it felt pretty awkward because we had not hugged for probably five years. I talked to her for a bit, and she made hot chocolate for me. Then we cleaned my room together, and even though I was still not feeling the best, she took care of me and slept next to me, holding me. The next day, we went for a walk, and I cooked my favorite meal. I don't think I've ever felt so loved and understood. Now she meets me at least three times a week, just to see if I'm okay, and hugs me. Wow, that is so... Once again, I just sometimes I just don't have words. Just so beautiful. Just so beautiful. Well, if you're out there and you're struggling, I I hope you heard something tonight that uh clicked or made you feel a little less alone. Made you laugh maybe. Man, that's the thing. That, that is like one of the first things to go when my depression is bad is I just, like, I don't even consider putting a comedy on because it's like, what it, what is the point? That's just going to remind me even more how horrible my depression is. Um, but, uh, I was watching Borat the other night. Fuck. That movie is so funny. It is so funny. Um, anyway, back to you enough about us more more back to you the listener um i i hope i hope you have a good day tomorrow i hope you have good sleep tonight i know a lot of you listen uh while you're in bed um with your headphones on um i just hope you remember that you're not alone and um but there's hope out there, if you're ready to get out, uh, get out of your comfort zone and ask for help. I know it's scary, but um, you can do it. Christ, if I can do it, <laughs> anybody can do it. And I'm so glad I did because there's so much beauty in the world. Even when I'm depressed, I can still see beauty sometimes. Um, so yeah, just hang in there. And thanks for listening.
0: Everybody i know is bizarrely beautiful fucked, fucked, fucked up in some weird way bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way